to just have half an ear open to listen as well. We're going to think about that first Easter together. In fact, I'm going to come out here. Now, I don't know what you're thinking this morning, how you're feeling this morning. As you hear that story being told, which you may be very familiar with, of that first Easter Sunday morning, or it may be something that you've only heard a few times or you only remember from Sunday school or school assemblies or something like that. It may be that you're thinking, that's a really lovely story, Tom, but you can't really expect us to believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead, can you? And even if you're not thinking that, then you will definitely know people who are. And it's very understandable, isn't it? People don't just get up out of the tomb on the third day, walk out surrounded by angels and live. What we're talking about is the most extraordinary, dramatic thing that could have ever happened. And it's very understandable to come to that and think, well, that can't really have happened, can it? I mean, it's it's a lovely story, but we don't really need to believe that, do we? Well, I want to spend the next few minutes giving you some reasons why I firmly believe that we can, and not only that we can, but that we must. Here's a few reasons. Let me start with a few whys, okay? So that's the story the Bible records of that first Easter Sunday that we've just heard uh, and joined in saying together. That was written down uh, by John, who was one of the early disciples, the apostles, who was there with Jesus. And there are other accounts that also made their way into the Bible, which is obviously a a collection of different people's accounts, that tell pretty much the same story. They went there on that morning, they found that the tomb was empty and a huge stone had been rolled away and there was no body. At first they, they panicked. They'd already been so upset, so distraught, that this Jesus whom they'd been following and listening to and watching do these most amazing things had been killed in that brutal way. And now it seems like they've come and heaped indignity upon indignity and they've stolen away his body. Until the messengers, the angels who were sat there told them he's not here, he is risen. And Mary, who was one of the first, if not the first, to get there, turns around and has that encounter with the risen Jesus that we've just heard. But they wrote all of that down. So here's my questions to ask yourself or just to think about, to give you confidence, actually, that we can believe that this happens. Here's some questions to think about. Why would the disciples make this story up when they could have made up something much more believable. (coughs) Why would the disciples make this story up when they could have made up something much more believable? And what I mean is very specific. The Jewish people, of which they were all uh, members, had a belief in a future resurrection of some sorts. They didn't have, at that stage, a belief in a real, actual, physical, flesh-and-bone resurrection but they had some sort of belief that there would be something in the end. So if you're trying to make up a story to persuade people that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, there's a narrative there that you could use to try and persuade them. You could talk about a heavenly vision. You could talk about uh, being able to see uh, a picture of the future where Jesus is alive again. 
but they didn't. They said that they met the actual living and breathing physical Jesus. Why would they make that up when they had something much more believable they could have used? Secondly, why would they make it up like this, like the story we've just heard? (coughs) You see, if you're going to make up a story as ridiculous as someone coming back to life, one of the things that you really don't want is lots of witnesses there who also claim to have seen him. People that you can say, oh, go and ask so-and-so whether they saw it as well. If you're going to make up a resurrection story, the easiest way to do that is to pretend that you're the only person who's ever seen him. It's very hard for people to dispute that. But that's not what they did. They said that Jesus appeared publicly, and not just there to several of them, but on and on over the next few weeks to hundreds of people. Paul even writes in his letter, there were hundreds, 500 people who had seen Jesus And you can go and ask them. You can go and talk to them. They made it harder for themselves if they're making it up by saying, here's all these people who saw it. See if our stories are straight. And then my third why question. After why would they make it up when they had something that could be more believable? Why make it up in that way with so many witnesses and female witnesses, which at the time were not counted as legal witnesses? In that culture, in that context... As as shocking as it sounds to us, that was the situation. And yet, in this story, it's Mary and the other ladies who find that Jesus is alive. It blasts through that and says, you can trust these women's stories. But if you're making it up to persuade people in that culture, in that context, that's not the story you tell. And then my third why. Why would you make this up when it costs you so much? These followers of Jesus who told this story, who wrote it down... Excuse me. They devoted the rest of their lives to it. Most of them died for it, some of them in very horrible, brutal ways. Why would you make this up if it was going to cost you so much? Those are just my three why questions. I've got more for you. We could go all day. Don't worry, I won't, but uh, we could keep going here. Now I've got three how questions for you. Three how questions about the resurrection. How could they make it up when the Romans could so easily have disproved it? How could they say the tomb was empty when the might of the Roman Empire who wanted to crush this little uprising of followers of Jesus could very quickly have said, no, he isn't, here he is. Could have cut it dead in its tracks. But they didn't. How could they make it up unless it was true? And how could they uh, make it up and have such an impact on history? Lots of people have come and gone and claimed to be the the Messiah. I think there's even a a film about it from the 70s. He wasn't the Messiah, wasn't he? He was just a naughty boy or something. Lots of people have claimed to be the Messiah. Why does this one alone change human history? Where millions, perhaps billions of people, have come to believe that these extraordinary events on Easter morning were true. How do you possibly have that kind of impact unless it's true? Why, why, how, how? Lots of reasons. As I say, I could keep going. I'm not going to. I'm going to start a discussion evening at the vicarage uh, later in this month for anyone who's uh, not there yet in your faith uh, to come and have these kind of conversations. I love these kind of questions and conversations. And we could keep going on this. There's lots to talk about. But I want to focus on one other question completely this morning. In fact, it's not a question at all. One other reason 
why I and so many others have come to believe that what happened in that story was true. Thank you, Sarah. And it's the encounter that Jesus has with Mary. In fact, it's just one word. In verse 14, having got to the tomb, we're told that the angels are there. And at this Mary turns around and sees Jesus standing there, but she didn't realise it was Jesus. I mean, who would? She thought it was a gardener. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. And Jesus simply said to her, Mary. The God who made everything. The God who had put into plan over thousands of years that he would be born into this world at just the right time to die in just the prophesied way for our sins, to reconcile, bring back together people who'd walked away from God and who were walking into death. This God who'd put this plan into Uh, effect throughout the ages the first thing he says at the point of resurrection where history turns on its head and death is defeated and life is opened up to people who otherwise would have no hope and no eternal future it turns on that saviour speaking to that lady by name he says her name History, eternity, turns on Jesus saying, Mary. Because he's alive. He knows her. The Jesus that she knows is back from the dead. Death is defeated. And that God who's done all of this cares so much about the people that he's died for that he knows us by name. That's why the name badges this morning don't just say your name, but if you look closely, they say, Jesus knows my name is Tom, Mary, whatever it might be. Our hope in Jesus is not just that he's done these things, but he's done them for me and for you. That when we, like Mary, see that he really has done these things, we see who he is, we turn and trust him, then we get to share in this joy and this life that only he can bring. It moves from being a sort of head knowledge, abstract, apologetic questions about whether or not this could have happened, to becoming something about our heart. Jesus knows us by name. Jesus died for you and for me in particular, as well as for us all in general. And he invites you to respond. He invites you to let him into your heart, into your life, to be that risen saviour who can bring you forgiveness and life and hope and joy. Not, Not protection against the things that go on in this world, because we still have to travel through this world, which is a real mix. But we journey through it with him because he's alive, because he sent his Holy Spirit so that when we welcome him in, we know him with us. 
Jesus, the Jesus, God, calls you by name. The question, of course, is, will we respond? So let's pray. Jesus, thank you that as you rose to life, the encounter that you had first of all was with one person, one lady, who you called by name. Jesus, risen Jesus, would you show each of us that we too are called by name to come and find our life in you, to find that hope in you, to find that promise, that joy, that eternity with you. Lord, as you call us each by name, would you help us to respond? It may be dramatic, it may not. It may be that gentle, gradual realisation that you really are here. However you do it, Lord, may it move from being a head knowledge to a heart knowledge. And may we be encouraged that the saviour of the world knows us by name. Amen.